0: To the sermon podcast of Trinity Church PCA in Carrierville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, missioncarrierville.org. So, as we've mentioned the last couple of weeks, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's headed to Calvary. He understands the mission that is before him. He knows what the Father has called him to do. He has talked about the suffering that he is going to experience. He is a man on a mission. And so it's interesting that Mark talks about this unbelievable miracle at this point in the life of Jesus. It is significant. significant because here is the Messiah, the long-awaited Redeemer of Israel. And if you understand the Old Testament, and particularly if you look at Isaiah, the prophet talks about the coming of the Kingdom of God, and he says that when the Messiah comes, when the Redeemer comes, the blind will see. Now, we've talked about this previously. The blind will see, The deaf will hear, the lame will be able to walk. And those are things that we have seen in the ministry of Jesus as it has unfolded in the Gospel of Mark. But here He goes to Jerusalem. And the Lord Jesus is making a point for His apostles to see and to understand and for His followers in case you don't realize it by now. In case you don't understand I am the one that you have been waiting for so I said a couple of weeks ago the Old Testament ends the Hebrew Old Testament ends in Chronicles asking the question the big-picture question who is going to ascend the hill who is going to rise up and redeem Israel well we know from the Gospel of Mark that it is Jesus he is the one that is headed to Jerusalem and so in jericho as he's leaving he does it one more time i want you to know i want you to believe i want you to understand i am the messiah i am the son of god i have come in the flesh i am obeying i have obeyed the covenant perfectly i am going to the cross to take your covenant punishment know that i am your king i am your deliverer i am your savior And I'm going to enable Bartimaeus to see. I'm going to perform this miracle because I don't want to leave any doubt as to who I am, where I'm headed, and what I'm going to do. Now, there's something interesting also in this passage Bartimaeus simply means the son of Timaeus. So, Mark mentions his father, he mentions the son. And if you look at Bartimaeus in the Aramaic, it borrows from the Greek. And if you go all the way back to the Greek and you sort of translate it from the Greek through the Aramaic to what Mark is trying to describe in this passage, it could be described as the ransomed one yes, his name is the son of Timaeus. But if you translate Timaeus, it can mean the ransomed one. So the son of the ransomed one. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is the one who has come to give his life as the ransom for God's people. My death on the cross is going to serve as the atonement that will cleanse you, make you right, give you forgiveness, bring you into the kingdom of God. It is what is going to afford your adoption as God's people. My sacrifice that I am going to make for you. I am your ransom. I think there's some merit to this because what do we notice in this passage that Bartimaeus says what twice. Go back to the text. He says in verse 47, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then he says again in verse 48, Son of David, have mercy on me. Twice. So the One whose name means ransomed is calling out to the son of David and he's saying, save me. And so Mark is writing this to his audience probably in Rome. An audience that is mostly Gentile, but some Jewish. And he wants them to understand that the Davidic son The promise that was made to David that one of his sons would sit on the throne forever and rule over God's people in perfection forever. And that the people of God through this Davidic son would be in the perfect presence of God forever. Mark is trying to tell his audience that Jesus is that son of David. He is that Davidic king. And the one with the name ransomed is calling out to the only person who can atone for our sins. It is a powerful passage that at first glimpse, you just think it is about the miracle of someone seeing. But it's really about the Redeemer coming to pay the ransom for the sinner who needs to see spiritually forever. That's who Jesus is, and that is what he is doing for Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, the ransomed one. Verse 52, notice this. It said, and Jesus said to him, go on your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. How radically was Bartimaeus transformed? How unbelievable was his encounter with Jesus? Well, we we, we only have to go back a few verses in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus talks to the disciples about his suffering and his death and the journey that he's on going to Jerusalem and it scared them to death. What? 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 You're going to die? You're going to suffer? Whoa, 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 whoa. We didn't, we didn't sign up for this. We, we were thinking that perhaps you were going to overthrow the Roman government and we were going to be your generals and we were going to help lead this revolt. And we might have a place of stature in this new kingdom that you were going to establish. You're talking about death and suffering. What Have we gotten ourselves into? What does Bartimaeus do? He follows Jesus. He he now sees. He sees his Savior. He understands. And he has no hesitation. When the apostles had hesitation, Bartimaeus doesn't hesitate, he follows after his master. Yes, I will walk the path of suffering for you because you have ended my suffering. That's who Jesus is and that's what He does for us. So what do we take from this passage? Those are some important insights regarding Mark chapter 10 verses 46 through 52. What, what do we take, Trinity, from these verses? And I think there are two things. Number one... Our hearts cry. Look, Go back and look at verse 47. He began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And then what what happens? And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Now, we don't know from the text. The context does not elaborate. But the rebuking could have been twofold. It could have been Leave him alone, he's busy, yes, he's miraculous, yes, he can heal you, but now's not the time. Or it could have been, and perhaps it was both, you foolish man, why do you think this carpenter from the lowly town of Nazareth has the ability to enable you to see, to regain your sight? You are foolish, you are ignorant, and you are not wise. It kind of reminds you of the world, doesn't it? And in this day and age, as believers, we must be mindful of the fact that the world thinks that what we believe is unwise and ignorant and foolish. But this is not anything that's new. This has been around for generations. Even in the age and day in which Jesus lived, more people believed that he was foolish, that he was out of his mind, that he was a hypocrite, that he was a false teacher, than actually believed in him. This goes all the way back to the garden. When sin enters the world, and Adam and Eve are tempted, and they have doubts, and they don't truly believe the word of God and nature and creation, the world God's people are plunged under the weight of sin and so from Genesis 3 on the world has constantly been repeating the phrase that God is not there that the word of God is not true that Christianity is false This is what the world is shouting. This is what the world is telling us. And we live in this world. We minister in this world. We serve in this world. And so what is our heart's cry? What should come forth from our heart because we belong to Jesus, because He's our older brother? Well, it's the words of Bartimaeus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Whatever the world is saying, that is our refrain. This is what we speak into the darkness. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. This is what we say to submit our hearts and our lives to Him. I want You to be my King. I want You to be my Master. I want to serve You. I want to find meaning in You. I give my life to You. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. When we are struggling under the weight of this world and our sin, it feels like it's dragging us down and the anxiety we feel on a day-to-day basis, we call out to King Jesus and we give Him our life, we give Him our all, and we say, Son of David, The Davidic Son who will rule forever from Your throne. I give my life to You. Have mercy on me. It is a once and for all thing that we say when we give Him our life. But guess what? It's also something we say every single day. Lord Jesus, King of kings, have mercy on me. Save me. The Gospel is once and for all and the good news of the Gospel is every single day, every single hour, every single minute, every single second, oh Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus comes to us. He comes to us amidst the troubles, the anxieties, the problems, the difficulties, the stress, He steps into all that and he reminds us that he is our older brother, that we belong to me, to him, that we are in the family of God and he is making everything right. He is enabling us to see now and forevermore. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. What an unbelievable phrase from Mark chapter 10 that God gives to us to say once and for all for our salvation and every single day. Because I'm telling you when my feet hit the floor I need to say Lord Jesus Son of God and Son of David have mercy on me. I'm blind to my sin have mercy on me. I'm blind to your glory. Have mercy on me. And I am blind to your grace. Have mercy on me. What a great thing that Bartimaeus says and what an encouragement to us. Look at verse 49. We've talked about our heart's cry, which is have mercy on me. I want you to seek Jesus' heart for his people jesus's heart for his people so notice in 49 and 50 and jesus stopped and said call him and they called the blind man saying to him take heart get up he is calling you and throwing off his cloak he sprang up and he came to jesus jesus calls him through the work of the holy spirit Bartimaeus is changed and he throws off his cloak and he runs to Jesus. This is what he does for us. He comes to us and he calls us to himself and we come to him. Now in our theological tradition, this is called effectual calling. This is an important doctrine. Effectual calling. This is my definition. Those loved by God who belong to Christ cannot resist his gracious call to faith and kingdom life. You are effectually called. Jesus comes to you in your sin, Jesus comes to you when you're dead in sin, and he calls you, and you always respond because you belong to God. I'm teaching the communicants class right now, and we're going through five major topics in order for them to profess their faith before the church and to come to the Lord's table. And last Wednesday, we were talking about the Christian life. And how in our theological tradition, we understand that God has come for us He has pursued us in love because He loved us before the creation of the world. And Jesus gives His life for us. And then the Holy Spirit comes and enables us to see and to hear and to know and to believe, to respond to this call that is always effectual. And I use the analogy of the ocean. And I talk to them about the fact that in my teenage years, I was under the impression and I think I've mentioned this to you before I was under the impression that I was in the ocean and this is not metaphor it's not unique to me I'm in the ocean and I'm drowning but I'm still kind of afloat and here comes Jesus in a rowboat thank you Jesus and he throws out a life preserver and it's it's kind of up to me to not drown and to make my way, to work my way over to the life preserver. And He pulls me in. So, my understanding of salvation in those teenage years was it was a lot of Jesus saving me, but it was a little bit of me. It was a little bit of me. And I told them that, that our understanding of the Bible, our denominational beliefs, teach something different we've just drowned we have just drowned and we're on the bottom of the ocean and and they thought this was funny the sharks have been nibbling on us that's how dead we are and Jesus comes along in the rowboat and instead of throwing out a life preserver He dives into the ocean. He swims to the bottom. He gets us. He brings us back to the boat. He drags us into the boat. And He brings us back to life. We have nothing to do with it. When Jesus calls us according to the work of the Holy Spirit and God's love for us from before all of creation, we come. We come. And so when we look at this text and we see Jesus calling Bartimaeus, He responds in faith because Jesus calls him and God the Father gives him that faith and the Holy Spirit enables him to believe, to see, to hear, to know. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful and I am so grateful and I rejoice that I have nothing to do with my salvation because I know that if I did, I would fail every single time. Every single time. Here, John 6, 37 through 40. All that the Father gives me, this is Jesus speaking, all that the Father gives me will come to me What a good word. Jesus is saying to us through the Gospel of John, I've come to do the will of the Father. The will of the Father is that I save you. I redeem you. And I'm going to call you. And you are going to come to Me in faith. And I am never going to let you go. Yeah you're going to do some sinful things. You're going to be rebellious. You're going to have troubles. You're going to have problems. You're going to have pain. You're going to have issues. You're going to have family issues. You're going to have life and work issues. It's difficult living under the fall. All of this is going to be hard. But no, as you go through the valley of the shadow, I have you. I will never let you go. You belong to me. My call To your life is effective. I need that encouragement every single day. I need to be reminded every single day, every single day, that Jesus has me in the palm of His hand and He's never gonna let go. And you know what? Sometimes I kick and stream against that, sometimes I push. Sometimes I lean back, but he does not let go. He has me to the very end. Thomas Watson is a well-known English Puritan. He has written so many marvelous books. I would encourage you to look into his life and look into his writings. But I want you to hear what he wrote about effectual calling. This is it's a little bit long, and I don't normally do quotes. but. This is so good. I want you to hear this. The Lord does not tie himself to a particular way or use the same order with all. He comes sometimes in a still, small voice, such as have had godly parents and have sat under the warm sunshine of religious education, often do not know how or when they were called the lord did secretly and gradually instill grace into their hearts as the dew falls unnoticed in drops they know by the heavenly effects that they are called but but the time or manner they know not the hand moves on the clock but they do not perceive when it moves thus god deals with some others are more stubborn and naughty sinners, and God comes to them in a rough wind. He uses more wedges of the law to break their hearts. He deeply humbles them and shows them they are damned without Christ. Then having plowed up the fallow ground of their hearts by, humil- by humiliation, He sows the seed of consolation. He presents Christ and mercy to them and draws their wills not only to accept Christ, but passionately to desire and faithfully to rest upon him. Thus he wrought upon Paul and called him from a persecutor to a preacher. This call, though it is more visible than the other, yet is not, hear this, it's not more real. God's method in calling sinners may vary, but the effect is still the same. What a great An encouraging word the effect is still the same that when God calls his people he calls them to the cross of Jesus Christ and in the empty tomb they find their meaning and a seat at the banquet table in the kingdom of God forever Effectual calling is a reminder of the upside-down nature of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He pursues us. He calls us. He brings us into the kingdom. He brings us into His family. He brings us into the ever after. He does it all. The Father loves. The Son redeems. The Spirit enlivens. It's just upside down to our way of thinking. Because we get up and we go to work and we want to perform to impress those that are our bosses and to earn a salary. We want to do well when we play sports. We want to work hard at it. We're always trying. We're always giving effort. We're always wanting to succeed. We do not intentionally attempt to fail. I'm just going to be horrible. I'm just going to be terrible. No. We, we want to work. And because of the sin nature that exists within us, and I've told you this in the past, there is this desire that hasn't been fully stamped out that says, I've got to save myself. I've just got to work a little bit harder. I've got to try a little bit harder. I've got to believe a little bit more. And it's just a lie. It's not true. God has done it all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for us. The Gospel is an upside down way of thinking in our life and in our culture. Performance. Effort. Try. Give. Go. Do. And the Gospel says, you can't. Stop. Rest fully in the grace of Jesus Christ and know that the good news of the Gospel is that He has come for you and He calls you and He will never, ever, ever let you go. Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank You that we can come and look at Your Word and be encouraged by Your Word. Father, thank You that Your Holy Spirit speaks to us the words of Christ and it it draws us closer to You. Help us to think like Your Son, to behave like Your Son, to serve like Your Son. Father, remind us this day that His grace is And His calling on our life is sufficient and forever. And it's in His name that we pray. The Son of David. Amen.